Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? We'll be in Galatians chapter 4. And I thought it would be fitting today as we, as it is, you know, we, we don't gather today because it's Christmas per se. We gather today because it is the Lord's Day, and, but yet it is Christmas, and that is a glorious reality. And so we are going to um, kind of press into that this morning for our joy and for our um, encouragement. So I, I, I thought a good passage for that would be Galatians chapter 4. Uh, And our text will be verses four through seven. So the word of God says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Ava, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us in Christ. That we celebrate now that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, that we through Christ have beheld your glory and that we through Christ have now received adoption as sons. Oh Lord, the incredible gift that you have given us, the indescribable gift. Lord, I pray as we press into this just for a few moments, just for a few moments of our day today, that we would, we would, we would see in that the reality of your love and your grace. And we would rejoice in that. And we would resolve even in that to walk with you and to please you and to follow you and to rejoice in you and to cast all our cares upon you and to hope in you in hard times. Lord, thank you for our brother Josh. Thank you that he's back here today. We pray for him and his ministry in Brazil. We pray that you would continue to bless him as he learns Portuguese. I pray for like diligence to study and like a, that he wouldn't plateau low, that he would continue to uh, fight ahead and push ahead so that he can speak the language really well. We pray for uh, him as he considers what tribe to go in. Lord, we pray for wisdom. Uh, what an amazing thought that one day perhaps, Lord, if... if uh, Um, if you will it to be, a tribe will one day hear the gospel in part because of what Josh is doing. Lord, we pray that that would be so. And we pray for him as he continues on that path. We pray also for his support. We pray for the people who are behind him. I pray for us as a church that we would be ever committed to lifting our brother up to you and praying for him and supporting him and encouraging him. So we thank you for him and pray that he'd have a nice, relaxing stay here before he heads back on the 4th. Thank you for this time together. Oh Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to gather around your word. And I pray that you would move here and encourage us and give us joy for this day. And Lord, I also pray for all those who, um, who are hurting today. I know that this day could mean grief for, uh, for a lot of people. It feels more like grief than joy because of somebody they lost or uh, a hurt that they've gone through. Lord, we pray for them as a church. We pray for your encouragement. We pray to you, the God of all comfort, that today you will show your grace in a special way uh, to hurting hearts. 
And I pray for all the, those who are in the ag industry, especially who are really suffering these last two weeks, Lord. We, uh, we, we pray that you would, um, you would encourage them and strengthen them and um, provide for them, Lord, uh, as they dig out and uh, continue to, and encounter losses and all the things that are with that. We, we pray for them, Lord, uh, today that they'd be encouraged in you and in their confidence in you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I asked my youngest daughter to describe like one of her favorite gifts. She, she gave me permission, which is rare for me to use her in a sermon. Um, but actually, like I, many of you opened gifts this morning, right? Many of you opened gifts. And uh, how do you describe your favorite gift? Well, I asked her if she would do that. And she said, this isn't a gift from today, but she, she said it was small, furry, um, Super soft, and you could squeeze or hug it. It looked like a dog, but it was not really a dog. So, yeah, some stuffed animal, right? T-Y. Did I mess that up? <laughs> okay. <laughs> not a bad description, I guess. I mean, I guess if I was to describe one of my favorite gifts growing up, it would be something like it was long, made of wood and metal, uh, worked on compressed air, and uh, little, little steel balls came out of it uh, at a pretty good pace, and it was taken away from me like within hours of getting it. But in my defense, in my defense, that welt on my sister could have come from anywhere. Um, I asked a few others to do it online, what their favorite gift was, like to, to describe their favorite gift without naming it, and here's a, here's a few of their answers. It had two wheels and pedals and handlebars. A Harley. Um, Another one described their favorite gift as a small rectangular piece of paper to gain access to a, a giant transportation vessel that would carry me to a warmer place uh, that Christmas. Another person described their gift as a box that runs electronic warfare simulators, popular with college students. No idea what that is. <laughs> a few more quick examples. Uh, brown, four legs, long mane, tail, and went nigh. Uh, an overpriced round piece of wood with rubber meant to smack a small plastic ball across the table. Ping pong paddle. Uh, and finally, uh, this gift calls me mom. So one of those things that you pull in. Mama, mama. <laughs> Maybe not. My point with all that is that gifts are generally describable. We, we generally are able to describe what gifts are and what they're like. Uh, and the more we like that gift, the, more, the better we are at describing it, right? So today is Christmas, and I'd like, to look, I'd like for us to look at it for a few moments at the description in this passage of a gift that Paul in another place called an indescribable gift. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians 9.13, Paul said of this, of this gospel, this is 2 Corinthians 9.13, he says, Thanks be to God for... His indescribable, the ESV says inexpressible, but indescribable is also uh, a, actually a good translation of that word. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And the reality of all Paul's epistles is that he is, he is doing his God-inspired best to describe an indescribable gift. That's what Paul does in his letters. Our passage is that. It is Paul describing the indescribable gift of the gospel and some of its glorious benefits to those who believe. 
So for the next few moments, I think it would be helpful for us. We're going to be briefer than normal today, but for the next few moments, we're going to look at five descriptions of the most wonderful gift in the universe. The one we're celebrating today, the incarnation of the Son of God, who came into the world, took on flesh, and saved us from our sin. So my focus today will be mainly on verses 4 through 7, but it's helpful, I think there's a few things in this passage, it's helpful to know the bigger argument that Paul is making in Galatians. So Galatians 4, 4 through 7 continue to unpack the truth that the law of God was like a guardian, not like a parent, but like a guardian, simply raising us up to point us to Jesus Christ and become God's sons. And he made that point way back in Galatians 3. So I'm going to read two passages from Galatians 3. 3, 24 through 26 says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So the law, think 10 commandments, was not an end to itself. It pointed us to justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And our text today builds on that. So the law was like a guardian preparing to hand us over to a parent. Paul is also making it clear that in Christ, the old barriers are torn down. Before, it was understood that there were Jews and Gentiles, people under the law, and people who were outside of the law, right? The Jews had a relationship with God. The Gentiles were outside of that. But Christ abolished that separation. And Paul made that point in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus... You all, Jews or Gentiles, sons of God through faith, for as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. So, big theme, and this is going to come up in our text in a small way, a very small way, but I think a helpful way. A theme in Galatians is that Christ has torn down the separation between Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is a genuine offer to all. And everyone who comes to Christ by faith is made an heir of God in Christ, by Christ. And our text today in chapter 4 drives that point home and he does it with two words. two, Two words that both mean dad. And I'll get to that in a moment. So our passage makes it clear that faith in Christ is the real answer, not law-keeping, not Judaism. That's the big picture of Galatians and the backdrop to the text this morning. So let's unwrap this present, if I can use the illustration, together and these five lovely descriptions of this indescribable gift for our joy and our increased faith on this Christmas morning. So the first description you can see in verse 4. Uh, This gift came in the fullness of time, like when the fullness of time had come, it says. And I think that simply means that God gave this gift in the perfect time in history. It was the timeliest gift ever. So why was it that though? Why was it the the, the perfect time in history? Why was AD zero or AD three, whatever, somewhere right around there, why was that the, the fullness of time? God is, of course, 
all wise and sovereign and intentional in his plan for redemption. And it's complex and not all revealed to us. And so I don't pretend to fully know the answer to that. But I do know part of the answer to that. And that is that God had prepared man's heart for Christ. God had prepared us. In that sense, it was the fullness of times. Man needed a savior really from the moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit. From that moment on, man needed a savior. In fact, the very first prophetic reference to Jesus Christ was in the aftermath of that sin in Genesis 3, 3.15, if you want to go look it up. But I, we were not ready then in our understanding. And so the, uh, the Old Testament in general and the law in particular were like school teachers preparing our hearts for Christ. They were, there were extensive lessons of perfect righteousness and holiness, the holiness of God. If you want to have a relationship with a holy God, you have to be holy. And so God revealed his holiness. When you read the law, you see what God is like. He is holy. And so God revealed that to us, and that took time. Um, you know what it also did, though? It also helped reveal our sinfulness. So this morning, in my stocking, there was a new hat. And so I, I put that hat on, and I came to church in it. And uh, I, some hats lent real bad, and I didn't realize this one did, but it did. I didn't tell. <laughs> anyway, I, I, took, I, I took it off this morning, and I... You know, I, I, I walked around feeling like I, I, I looked pretty sharp this morning. You know, like, just, you know, well-groomed, whatever. Then I went to the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror, and there was lint all over my head. <laughs> like, like, what? I wouldn't have known that. I didn't feel the lint. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I couldn't feel that it was there. I, I couldn't sense it somehow. I was oblivious to my linty head. <laughs> but then the mirror showed me, no, you've got stuff on your head that needs cleaning. What am I getting at? That's what the law does, friends. The, the law is like a mirror. You know, you, you can go through this life thinking that your righteousness is merely based on the people who are sitting around you. And you, you can go around comparing yourself as if, hey, I don't do all the things I possibly could do wrong or the things that my friend does wrong. So I must be right. Well, the law comes along like a mirror and says, no, no, you are, you are sinful before a holy God. When, when it reveals our sinfulness before God. And it's a, it's, a, it's a standard that is outside of ourselves. That's what the law does. And God spent a lot of time preparing us for that. The law makes it abundantly clear to everyone who will listen. We are sinners. We don't measure up to God's law. Just take the Ten Commandments. And you could think that you keep some of them okay, but not when you fully, if you press into that, your guilt just becomes so clear. Mine too, mine too. We are sinners. Also in the law, there were lessons of the con the, the, this concept of substitution. That God in his mercy would allow his wrath towards guilty people to fall on innocent substitutes. The Old Testament is replete with pictures of that. You know, the sacrificial system. Man, a man who would sin would put his hand on the head of an innocent lamb and that lamb would be killed. It's blood shed for his sin. And that was not an end to itself. It was not the substance. It was merely a picture. It was merely a lesson. It pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. 
It was, it was to help us see. See how the God was preparing us through all of the Old Testament so that when we get to the gospel, we would understand it. When we get to those words of John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We'd... Oh, that's what it is. God planned to send his son so that people were prepared to understand that God spent this time doing this so that we would understand that God is righteous. We are sinful. Sin earns death. And that God would pay that sin with a substitute. One who would stand in our place for all who believe. When the time was right, at the precise moment that God planned before time began, Mary went into labor and her son, the son of God, the savior, was born into this world. The advent of Christ is truly the most climatic event in human history. It's why history turns on his birth. And this is the biggest reason why Christmas ought to be significant for you as a believer. It's not just the birthday of Jesus that we're celebrating. I mean, it, it is that whatever, you know, like the... It, but not in the same sentimental way that we commemorate our birthdays. Christmas points to the fullness of times when God, in order to demonstrate his grace and mercy and his love towards sinners, sent his son into the world to redeem us. So that's the first description. It was the fullness of time. The second description of this gift is that, as you can see again in verse four, this gift was given through a woman. Verse four says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, why, why did he say that? What is the significance of Jesus being born to a woman? The significance means that Jesus was truly man because all people are born of women. Jesus was truly man. In fact, in this one verse, you can see that Jesus is truly God and truly man. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and it's meant to convey these awesome, these two awesome truths. And I can spend a lot of time unpacking the significance of both sides of that, but I will have to leave that for other sermons. In short, it's significant that he is truly God because only God can save us from our sins. Only God. Only a perfect substitute would do for the atonement. God did not pour out his wrath on some third party. God poured out his wrath on his son for you and for me. And Jesus had to be truly man. You know why? Because death is the price that, that sin requires, death. And God doesn't die. God doesn't bleed. God doesn't feel any weaknesses in himself ever. He has no weaknesses. And so God took on flesh. So Jesus was born of a woman to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. What an incredible gift. Note the third description in verse five. God sent forth his son to redeem those who are under the law. That means that the purpose of God in sending Christ was to purchase or buy or liberate all who were under the law's condemnation. Christ was born to redeem us and the price of that redemption was his blood. In that way, the birth of Christ points to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was God's plan. Christ was born under the law in order to keep the law perfectly, something no one else had ever been able to do. And that qualified him to be condemned under the law for lawbreakers like me, like us. He was innocent. And so he could pay the price with himself. And he did that to redeem us. 
He was born, he lived, he died, he was raised again, and he did that to give you new life, to redeem you. And that leads me to the next, the fourth description of this gift. There's actually more here, but I just chose five. But look at the end of verse five, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Those who have been adopted or who have adopted a child have a glimpse of the awesome reality that through Christ we have been adopted as God's sons. Adoption points to that. It's a, it's a beautiful reality. I, I spent some time ministering. It's been a long time, but I, I spent some time ministering in orphanages in Russia. I think the last time I was there was for that was 2012. So it was 10 years ago that we were there, but we did some work in an orphanage then. And I did it when I was there living there. Uh, the emotions I felt when I went into an orphanage, they're, they're, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It's impossible for me to describe in a sense. They're, it's deep sadness. There are these rooms, picture this Russian orphanage, okay? Because I'm trying to paint a picture for you to help you get this. There are these large rooms full of beds. Children's from toddlers to teenagers would sleep in these rooms. And there's no real privacy and no genuine individual care. They were raised by staff and like anything, some of the staff were better than others. And some of the children were meaner than others. Abuse of every kind from the staff and from other children is pervasive in these orphanages. One thing that almost everyone notices right away, and I noticed it right away every time I was there, is that the kids would get very clingy. They'd come and they'd want to hold your hand. They'd want to hug you. They'd want to sit in your lap. You sat down, they'd want to be right there with you. You'd, you don't even know these kids, but they want to, they're all over you kind of thing. I'm not a, a huggy guy, so it's a little awkward for me, but... but more than that awkwardness is this deep sadness I feel because I know why. I know why they're that way. No one ever hugs them. Literally, no one loves them. No one they can see anyway. So imagine that you were a little child in an orphanage, okay? No one loves you. And then one day, someone adopts you and loves you and promises you a relationship forever. That you will always be loved and always cared for. What kind of gift would that be? That's what God has done in Christ for us. Friends, if you are in Christ by faith alone, then God through Jesus has adopted you and now you are his son or his daughter. Let that sink into your heart this Christmas. You were an orphan because of your sin and because of the sin of this world that you were born into. And God through Christ has adopted you to be his child, his sons and his daughters. That's what this is about. The son of God making sons of God. Adopting us as his sons and daughters. The, the final, the fifth description of his gift is that when God adopts us, he sends his spirit into our hearts. That's what verse six says. And, and that, look what the spirit does. It says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Ava, Father. It's the spirit in our hearts that cries out to God, Ava, Father. You can see that here. In Romans 8, 15, it says it just a little bit differently, helpfully. It says that the spirit energizes us to cry out, Ava, Father. Romans 8, 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, by whom we cry, Ava, Father. So it is the spirit of God 
or the, the spirit of his son or the spirit of adoption as Paul calls it in Romans, that the Holy Spirit, I think it all refers to the Holy Spirit, that he, he cries out on our behalf and he energizes us to cry out to God as our father. He enables us through the adoption to cry out to God ourselves as our father. We call to him as our father. We, we, we don't just relate to God as a judge. Isn't that good? Isn't that really precious? We don't just relate to God as a judge. We relate to him as father. It's helpful to see the, the, the linguistic significance of these two words, Abba and father. Why does he say that? Why does he use two words instead of one? What's the, what's the deal here? Well, here's the deal. Abba is a, a, a transliteration of an Aramaic word that means father. Literally, the Aramaic word, like in any household, uh, little kids would call their dad Ava. It was just the way they did it. It was, it was, it was that term, term of endearment. Like my kids calling me Papa or Dad or whatever. Now, the word Father in this in this text is a translation. It's an English word translated from a Greek word. The Greek word is Patir. Means, you know what it means? Father. It's, it's, the, it's the name that general people would call their dad, like in their homes, like in Greek. So maybe you're lost on me here, but they're the exact same word. They're just in two different languages. I think the point he's making is that whether you are a Jew, a Jew who speaks Aramaic and says Abba, or a Gentile who speaks Greek and says Patir, or an American who speaks English and says, Dad, through Christ and only through Christ, the indwelling spirit in us and energizes us to relate to the holy God of heaven, the judge of all the universe as father. You can come up here if you want. <laughs> what a sweet reality that is ours through Jesus. What an incredible gift. What does it do to your heart when someone gives you a very special, thoughtful gift? It gives you joy, right? That's, that's what gifts do. You experienced that this morning. It gives you joy and love for the gift giver. Oh, friend, what a gift that God has given us. What a gift. What a gift of the gospel. Now, just for devotional purposes, also for application purposes, as we close here this morning, I want to read you an excerpt from a sermon from an old dead pastor named Spurgeon. He's one of my favorites. He preached a passage. He preached on this passage and this is his closing uh, excerpt uh, from the, his sermon. I read it this week. And I want you to, to, to feel how this gift continues to bless you and, and also consider how you should respond to this gift, okay? So Spurgeon said this. Just listen, listen to this. Spurgeon said, live in the spirit of this sonship. Wake up in the morning and let your first thought be, my father, my father, be with me this day. Go out to your business and when things perplex you, let that be your resort. My father, would you help me in my need? When you, when you go home and you meet the, the, the domestic anxieties that you have, let your cry still be, help me, my father. When alone, you know what? You're not alone because the father is with you. In the midst of a crowd, you're not in danger because the father himself loves you. Go and live as his children. Take heed that you reverence him. Go and obey him, for that is right. You obey your father. Be imitators of God as his dear children. Go and live upon him, for you shall soon live with him. 
Go and rejoice in him. Go and cast all your cares on him. Go from this point forward and whatever men may see in you, may they be compelled to own that you are the sons and the daughters of the most high God because you are. That's the gift of Christmas. He is your father. You are his children. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The, he, he gave this gift at the fullness of times. He gave it through a woman. He gave it to redeem us. And this gift means our adoption. And this gift means we cry out to God as Ava, Father. Merry Christmas, my friends. Hope in Christ today. Lord, we, we come to you and I pray that your gospel would be clear to any who don't understand it or who came here this morning not understanding it. Lord, I pray that today they would turn by faith to you. And Lord, I, I pray for all of us that we would be encouraged in this indescribable gift that you have given us through Christ. May it just absolutely stoke our joy and our worship of you and give us all the strength we need to continue following you even though life is hard. Thank you, Father, for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.